In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. Welcome back for another OG show live. Mr. Randall, how you doing? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Real Down. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for News. Hi, boys and girls. Welcome to once again the Bass Guy Gapiers. Oh, brother, this is the final cast. Another segment of uh, Chasing the Tide, your saltwater connection on the Palatine. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Feather and Fur, your host. Welcome back to the Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal. Hey, welcome back to Off the Water. Happy you here with Adventures of Outdoor Woman Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Rusty Hook Kayak Fishing Podcast. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, go to eastport.info. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I am your co-host Sean, and with me as always, Susie is back. So welcome back, Susie. Um, The the she shed is looking pretty sweet, I gotta say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, you can kind of see, you know, my shelves have gotten... uh, Gotten moved in on um, the past few days here. I've been working on slowly going through my stuff uh, since I haven't touched anything since June. But uh, I uh, just recently had, uh, I think, my second to last physical therapy uh, yesterday. So, I mean, he says that strength's looking real good, motion and everything's really good. So uh, I'm getting the itch to go fishing, even though it's like, you know, end of October. But uh <laughs> 
Hopefully yeah, you can sneak in some stuff. good stuff before it gets too cold out there. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see if I can't, you know, scratch the itch before, you know, on here, but yeah, I, I got a lot of work to do this winter, so I'll definitely <laughs> be kept busy. Good, good. All right. Well, um, tonight, um, I, uh, I was searching around for uh, a rig that I started hearing a little bit more about, uh, lately. And, um, I found a really good article written on it uh, on Wired to Fish. And so I uh, kind of hit up the author of the article and just to see if he'd be interested in coming on and talking about that. And uh, he graciously accepted. Uh, I know if you guys remember a few uh, months back, we had McKeon Roberts on um, from Wired to Fish. He's another uh, writer for Wired to Fish. And uh, he gave us some great info. So I know the Wired to Fish guys know what they're talking about. So I, I was happy when... Uh, Shea Baker accepted my invitation to come on the noob show and uh, to give us some juice on the uh, free rig. So we're going to talk to him a little bit that I'll, I'll bring him on right now. Welcome, Shay. Thank you for so much for coming on uh, the best things for bass fishing for noob show. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, sir. How's it going? Not bad. Not bad. How about uh, how's it going for you, man? Pretty good. I heard y'all talking about it getting too cold to go fishing. And we don't fortunately have to worry about that too much down here in Alabama. Oh. <laughs> Nice. Uh, yeah, we have uh, we we have a couple of hosts down your way, and uh, I'm always super jealous of them. Now, I uh, I use a uh, a dry suit, so I do fish even in the freaking cold weather. But I, it's not the most pleasant experience. I I can't lie. So well, I'm definitely is, here in Alabama. It'll get down to you know 40s and 20s sometimes, and I'll still head south. I'll go down to Florida. I'm like I don't know. <laughs> <this cold. laughs> I can't imagine what y'all are dealing with. Uh, it's just, you know, uh, an easy day trip for you, probably, you know, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, how, how long will it be before it gets anywhere near that cold down there? Really, our coldest weather is like February and March, uh, mainly February, Jan late January, early February. It gets down. We had, I remember like two or three years ago, it was 17, 18 degrees for like six or seven days straight. And that's the coldest it's been in years and years down here as far as any kind of stretch. Usually it's. 30s and 40s and then every now and then you'll have a 20 or something like that but it's for one night and you just have to wrap up all the outdoor spigots you know water spigots and stuff like that make sure nothing freezing and bust and then you're yeah. good to go again so that's our winter rising well i gotta say i mean uh the past couple of years we've had our uh our podcast meetup down at dale hollow lake and uh I keep going down there expecting it to be warm. And every time we go down there, it is cold. It's been cold. Like, yeah. like I woke up the, the one morning and there was frost all over my kayak. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. I'm going back to Pennsylvania where the weather's warmer, you know? No. Yeah. That frost is pretty much Southern snow. That's how we'll get it. It'll glisten for a little while. It's <laughs> melted off and that's it. Yeah. That was nice. I mean, by the time I was out on the water, it was, you know, everything was, uh, you know, gone and it was, it was fine, but uh, definitely a little brisk first thing in the morning, but mm -hmm. Well, for the folks who don't know you, um, why don't you uh, just let the folks know who you are, where you're from, and then kind of how you got into fishing. And I'd love to find out just, you know, how you got involved with Wired to Fish, like how that came about. Yeah, I, um, I started off fishing like I tell people. I was fishing while I was still in the womb. My mom and dad <laughs> was out in the boat, I'm sure, while she was pregnant with me. So my dad's <laughs> fished all his life, and, and then I took it up right at, you know, his babysitting routine was take me and my sister and put us under the steering wheel of the boat and put an umbrella off to the side and a, a, a jug of Kool-Aid and some chocolate chip cookies. And we were good <laughs> to go. So eventually you pick up a rod and, you know, drug a cork behind the boat for a few years, trying to catch a brim, telling him to slow down. He would never slow down. So I had to pick up a bass fishing rod and, 
and that's uh, pretty much how I got started. And then we fished local tournaments together uh, growing up for bass. And uh, I'm here in central Alabama. So uh, Lake Martin's my home lake, which is it's a tough lake, but it's got a uh, pretty good diversity. It's mainly, you know, deep, clear lake. But then you also have some muddy water and uh, not much vegetation on it. But one of the cool things about Alabama, and I think one of the reasons a lot of people move here from the West Coast and up north and everything is you can fish year round here but you can also fish an extreme variation of cover so you can fish deep rock clear um, muddy grass hydrilla all kinds of vegetation lily pads you know everything you got vegetation wise and then uh, creeks rivers uh, impoundments you know you have just a wide variety of things you can fish so you you have good ledge fishing you have good uh you know smith or smith lakes like a deep herring lake you have just a little bit of everything so um, so growing up around here, I got to fish all those different places and I got to Auburn university in the second semester I was there, uh, we started a bass fishing team. And so I fished for Auburn, uh, for four years and my senior year was Jordan Lee's freshman year and he and I were partners and, wow. uh, my partner and I had finished third in the national championship the year before for FLW was the big college fishing series at the time. And then, uh, so Jordan and I fished the second year. And we finished third as well. And so in one of those terms, I think it was the first one. Um, I was, we were in like the top five. Uh, we led the first day and then had a terrible day too. And then on the final day, it was just five of us. And we still made the top five. And um, the editor in chief of the magazine, Colin Moore for FLW, he was following us doing like live updates on Twitter at the time. And it's one o'clock and we, we ain't got nothing, you know, <laughs> zero. I said, if this fishing thing didn't work out, I sure could use a job writing. And he said, you like to write? I said, about fishing, I do. And uh, so I didn't think anything else about it. I ended up catching uh, three pretty good ones, and we finished third. And uh, at the end of the day, I was talking to my dad, and he said, you know Colin Moore? I was like, yeah, he's the editor for the magazine. And he said, he talked to me for like an hour in the in the crowd, you know, while y'all was weighing in and everything. And uh, he said he wanted you to write some stuff for him. So that got me my first couple of things. And it was, I mean, it's interesting, like, terrible day on the water led to the start of my career you know so i wrote a couple of uh pre things for the college section of the of the magazine and then they hired me to do something called pro lessons which was uh, a new thing they had where a writer and an angler went out with a pro and then tried to learn something and convey it to the reader so i, I got to go like punching with jt kenny and uh learn how to do that and frog fishing with uh Randall Tharp on Gunnersville. And so I'm throwing my frog, not getting any bites. He's throwing a frog and he sets it down in the water in his sinks because he's got lead in it and where it would make an impression in the mat. So I got to learn all kinds of cool things like that and then write about them for the readers. And so that's kind of how I got started in Wired Fish. I was doing a little bit of stuff with them at the same time, too. I'd met those guys at uh, the Classic maybe the year before. So I was starting to do some stuff for FOW and starting to do some stuff for Wired to Fish and then also finishing up my college career and entering into the Opens and the Everstarts at the time. Now they're called the Toyota Series or Costa Series. Um, it's changed names two or three times, but the mid-level stuff at FOW, which is now MLF. A lot of stuff shifted around since back then. But but anyway, um, I kind of started doing some tournaments, you know, mid-level tournaments, and I started working some. I ended up transitioning to working with bass, and uh, and I was fishing the opens, but I was just doing it all part-time. And it got to the uh, – I don't even remember what year it was now, but uh, there was a wild-card tournament on Okeechobee, 
And uh, it was at the end of the year, and anybody that had fished the Opens or the Elites could fish it. And it was the last chance to get a Bassmaster Classic berth. And I was supposed to – I was contract, but I was supposed to work the Classic coming up doing the GoPro stuff. I had introduced that whole uh, company to, like, GoPro footage. And I had told them, like, okay. you know, we could – we had six six camera guys and 12 guys on the water on the final day at the time and i was like for one more person i'll run six gopros and at least you get something from a guy right. if right. they catch and they're like seventh because the the program before that was the guy in seventh goes to catch them they pull a camera guy out of the top six boats and put him in that boat but then that guy starts catching them and gets back ahead of the guy because he was in seventh yada 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 so um so they said that's not a job. You can come do bass track. You want to you can play with that on the side. So I started doing bass track for bass, and I was just doing all this stuff contract, you know, as a freelancer and uh, introduced GoPro stuff. So I was supposed to work the next classic for bass, and uh, they had, like GoPro had given us a hundred GoPros to put out. So I had like sixty wow. of them. I was supposed to put on one on every boat. It was, you know, I was supposed to do uh, bass track too, which is a, a, a phone in every boat. And you're supposed to charge all that stuff up. So it was a pretty good bit of stuff I was supposed to be doing at the Classic. And we went out on that wild card and I led that one, had 29 pounds. <laughs> and so my my boss calls me and he's like, hey, man, good luck. You know, really hope you do good tomorrow. And you could tell, like, he was sincere, but he's also thinking this is going to be a mess. So I went out on day two and caught 20 pounds and I had pretty good league going into the final day. And then I, I just bombed on the final day and finished third. But um, that was kind of the deciding point in my career where I had to either choose to work or fish. And I was like, I don't really want to gamble my mortgage. You know, if I could guarantee a paycheck, I think I'll do that and still get to work and fishing. So I did that for a while and uh, it was really awesome. I got to meet at the time Van Dam and all those guys were still over there. So I got to meet like a lot of my heroes and, and, because I was trying to help get them coverage, basically, I was a camera guy. I was shooting on the water photography and, and doing a little bit of writing and stuff and doing all the editing of the videos. So I had a, a role to play in the industry that was not competitive to them like it would have been if I was an angler. So instead, right. um, they wanted, you know, to communicate with me. and wanted to work with me because I was helping them. So it was really cool to get to, to know those guys in a way that I never would have gotten a chance to, even if I had of, you know, qualified and, went out there and fished the elites, they'd have been trying to kick my teeth in. Nobody would <laughs> say hello, you know. It's, yeah. It's, Otherwise, this way they welcomed you with open arms, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it was really cool to get to meet a bunch of them. And and so I did that, and uh, I did primarily bass stuff for, I mean, bass master and worked for them for four or five years, and I was on the road all the time. And towards the end, it was like 250 days a year. For the last couple of years, I did it, and I got burnt out, and um, – it was really cool, but it was also once the kind of the new war off, I'm like gone for five weeks, home for three days, packed for three days, gone for five weeks. And it's just, it, it, it wore off. I made way too much out of it. I idolized the industry and the job and everything. It just took, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. It took Christ seat in my heart, honestly. Like I just idolize it above everything else. And so in the end it was, it, it didn't bring any joy anymore. And so, um, I bailed on the industry and pretty much just cut ties with fishing altogether and uh, didn't even like fishing around here or anything. And so a job came open at a farm, quote unquote, uh, that my uncle had worked on for 23 years. And it's a deer property. It's a rich guy's playground is all it is. And it's five minutes <laughs> from my house. So I started doing that. And that's really where like the rehabilitation happened for me. And like, I just got to go out there and get on the tractor and grab a weed eater or whatever. And, uh, just be in nature every day. So 
that was really an awesome experience. And so that was about a five-year stint. And um, during that time, the guys that wired the fish reached out to me, one of them named Walker Smith, and he's like, he, the very frank question he asked, like, what, what the hell happened to Shea Baker? Like, where did you go? You know, what right. happened? And I was sitting there and I was like, well, I don't really know what happened. And so uh, that kind of got a cathartic thing going. And I wrote a couple pieces for them that were real in-depth. And uh, I battled bipolar depression and and different things over the years. And just uh, it was really a cool deal. So that kind of got me back started in the fishing industry. And so for the last three or four years, I kind of – started working more and more in the industry again and and had a much better relationship with it this time and enjoyed it again and uh but i wasn't making it my world and so then back in january i went back to work full-time in the fishing industry and uh for myself and so i contract with wired to fish monster bass and Bassmaster again and back covering the elite series and uh it's been a real cool journey but fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. That's the long answer to your question of, you know, where did I come from and, and what all have I done in the industry? So now it's writing primarily and uh, and then covering the Elite Series and maybe the Opens next year. What's really cool is the travel was the part that was so taxing about it before. Mm-hmm. And I actually covered the Elite Series this year, half of it from home, wow. um, because now you can watch. You can follow everything. Yeah. yeah. So in the past, I would get in a boat and I'd go sit with a camera and try to shoot a picture of one guy i'm 60 yards away at best it's a strain and it's inconvenient if i'm hollering to him to try to get any information and so they said uh the last few were in like south dakota wisconsin new york i'm down here in alabama so it was gonna cost them twice as much to send me as they were gonna pay me they said can you figure out a way to do it from home so i sat there and watched the live stream for eight hours and i would just blog about it so when the live stream came about, their blog kind of died off a few years ago. And uh, what they realized recently is like everybody can't sit there and watch eight hours of fishing as much as they might want to. And so right. I sat there and watched eight hours of fishing and I would just, you know, kind of blog or document what was going on. And if anything happened, it's kind of neat. I would write about that like four or 500 words. And then, you know, if somebody caught three big ones real quick. I would write that, you know, so it, if somebody wanted to come in at one o'clock and catch up, there's a pretty good storyline of what's been going on. So um, one of the most taxing parts of it that burned me out before was just having to travel all the time. Right. And this time going back around, I hadn't even had to do a lot of that. So I've been able to work like literally from right here, the hard decisions, you know, do you sit on the recliner, the ball, <laughs> put on pants, don't put on pants. <laughs> it's a tricky, tricky deal. So. Nice. Well, I, I, I'm so happy that, you know, you were able to find, you know, 
get back to it and, and, you know, come at it from the right perspective, you know, and I think that uh, it sounds like you, you have a much more healthy relationship with mm -hmm. it this time around. And, and uh, so I'm super glad that, uh, you know, you were able to, to find your way back, but on your terms. So yeah. uh, congrats on that, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a good deal. Like I remember, you know, like I said, my dad, I fished with him all my life and there was a time about four or five years ago when I came off the road where, and I was drinking heavily at the time and I've been two years sober, uh, September 17th. And I don't have anything against drinking. If you can handle it, I, I couldn't, I didn't drink till I was 29. And once I got started, I think I tried to catch up. And, uh, <laughs> so I thank God I kicked it, you know, a couple of years ago, but at the time it's four or five years ago and I, I'd go fishing with my dad in a local tournament and I was miserable. And it was so frustrating because I'm like, one day he's going to pass and I'm going to wish so badly that I had enjoyed it, but I couldn't even enjoy it. You know, and at the time it was just still, I was still trying to find meaning to life and I was still trying to find the answer to everything in fishing because that was the closest thing I had. It was the thing that always brought me joy. And uh, I mean, one time the worst it ever got, I, I like the boat in my head. I was still working with bass at the time. I had like a $70,000 skeeter to use for the year, free and clear. And I had my own truck I was paying for, but like, you know, I could fish anywhere I wanted to about any time unless I was working. And I remember back in the boat in the water and I parked the truck and I just sat there for about five or 10 minutes. And I got out, walked up there and got the truck back then, never made a cast. And I was just numb. I was miserable. And so that was the darkest times, you know, because the thing that had always brought me joy was gone. But I remember uh, about a year and a half ago now, back in January of 2021, and uh, a lot of stuff has started clicking and making sense. Like I said, walking it out. I'd been a Christian since I was like seven, but I hadn't really walked it out. You know, I hadn't, I was just kind of, all right, I'm going to heaven eventually and just kind of whatever through this life. And I didn't realize, you know, this life can be a lot better. And so I uh, was walking all that out and I was like, you know, fishing's gone. That's fine. It's not that, it's not that big a deal. You know, I'm happy and thankful for everything else. And I went fishing with my dad, just fun fishing, not even fishing a tournament on the old home lake. And it was like I was 10 again. Like, I loved it that much. And it was so cool because it was like God gave me my joy back for it once the order got right. And so um, it was just – it was a really cool thing. So I do have a healthier relationship with it now. The same same things, you know, it's a proclivity. It's, a, it's this area I might slip up if I put too much focus on it. And uh, so was work, you know, in general. Like, um, all those things kind of creep back up, you know. Right. So it's all about keeping that priority. But uh, – but, so far so good and you know just got to lay it all back down every now and then but fishing has been a, a whole lot better last couple of years been able to enjoy it again well i'm super super happy to hear that man because uh uh you know to have something that gives you joy and then not have it uh and then to reclaim it again that's that's a that's an awesome story so yeah, it's yeah. pretty scary there for a minute. <laughs> that that struggle is definitely real. I can definitely relate to that. Maybe not on quite such a, you know, bigger scale like that. When I first got into kayak fishing, I think my third year, I was trying to fish every kayak club and tournament and everything. I was gone like weekend after weekend after weekend, you know, and I would do okay. But like, you know, towards the end of the season, you know, it's just like, I'm tired, <laughs> you know, yeah. and just like, you know, after you do things for so long, you know, you have like that wear and tear on you, whether mm -hmm. it be, 
you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, and sometimes you're just like, what in the heck am I doing? You know, and then you just, you lose that spark in a sense too. And, you know, it almost becomes work in a sense, you know, when they say it becomes work, that's, you know, when you stop enjoying things. So then you're like, all right, I got to figure something out. I got to get my passion back. How do I do it? So that's, that's awesome. Well, um, uh, speaking of your writing, uh, one of the articles that you wrote that uh, grabbed my attention, and I've been a Wired to Fish fan for a long time. Like I said, we had McKeon on, and he was he was cool. And um, you know, just the content you got, content you guys put out there is amazing. Um, and uh, one of the articles that I uh, found that you wrote was on the uh, free rig, and uh, so I wanted to see if uh, we could pick your brain about that a little bit, um, kind of to see uh, uh, where to start and, you know, kind of uh, break it down from, you know, the different types of weights and stuff. We'll start by explaining what, what the free rig is. Yeah. And I'm not a super expert at it or anything. I actually found out about it through John Cruz. He had come out with a missile baits, 48 worm and he, he and I are buddies. I met him through the elite series, but he, uh, he had a few guys trying to come up with 48 ways to use that worm. And that was like the little video series they did. And I'm gonna be honest with you, it got a little like at the end. I threw one on the, or I threw five of like five halves of them on an A rig, and I caught fish. <laughs> like that was the goal. The That's goal crazy. Was, awesome. Yeah, That's the goal awesome. was fish 48 different ways. You know. So wow. I think one of them was like a a double wacky rig with a with a flick uh, shape weight. You know, so it's like an X, and it looked ridiculously good in the water. And I was like, this is. Awesome. This you might be, yeah, you might stumble upon the next great thing. <laughs> Coming up with stuff here. But uh, but that was one of the ones he said. He's like, hey, if you if you ever, you know, you want to try to do it on the free rig, you can do that one. And I was like, what's the free rig? So it was, it's pretty cool. Um, I wish I had the weights and worm and all here, but. I have, uh, I have weights and stuff, so. It's basically like a little bell weight with a, uh, there you go. And if you hold it from the bottom, you can see that there's a hole in the top of it. Yep. Yeah, so what you do is you feed your line through that, and then when you feed your line through that, you tie it on to whatever hook you want, EWG, straight shank, uh, worm hook. And so all it is is simply that weight is allowed to, to move freely on your fishing line. And uh, it's kind of in some ways like a Carolina rig in that sense, but there's no, there's no restriction of it to move up and down. It can go all the way up to the, to the nose of the worm. So you rig a worm, um, you know, weightless Texas rig on that worm, on that hook, and then your weight can just kind of come up. So it really is a cool technique too with like Z-Man soft plastics because they float. So, um, you know, if you drag it a little ways, the weight's going to come down to the nose of the worm. And then if you were to drop your rod tip, the worm would kind of float up a little bit and then you drag it again. So it kind of moves freely. And um, it's really good. I've, I've caught fish on it uh, in vegetation, especially sparse vegetation, like whenever they're spawning, that's a good technique to use because you can throw it over in like little holes and stuff. And really, you can drag it and just let the weight sit there, and the worms will have a little bit of movement. So even if you don't know that you're in a bed, if you just see a hole in the grass, I've, I caught them on Seminole doing that before. And um, it's just a, a different finesse technique that you know the fish probably don't see quite as much. And uh, I mean, it gets bit for sure. It's an easy, easy rig to fish and easy rig to rig. No, and that's what kind of drew me to it initially, because um, again, you know, our show uh, tends to focus a little bit more on kind of, you know, 
you know, not to say that, uh, you know, people with more advanced uh, techniques and stuff don't watch or listen, uh, but a lot of our audience is uh, kind of beginning anglers. And, and there's some rigs that we talk about and some techniques that do take a lot of, uh, I don't know, the, the learning curve is steep. I'll say it that way. Um, and uh, when I stumbled upon this, it seemed like it's easy to rig. Um, it's not complicated and it seems relatively easy uh, to work, especially if, you know, you're, like you said about using the, uh, the Z-Man baits, uh, that actually float, you know, so if you, you know, just work it slowly, you cast out, you let it sink, um, and then, uh, just give it slack and let the bait float back up and then you pull it back down and move it a little bit and then let it do repeat. It seems like a pretty easy technique to use, I would think. Yeah. And it's like, a, you know, if you think about a Tokyo rig or even a wobble head, stuff like that, it's kind of the same premise of a bait being able to wash around. But it's, it's even easier for it to do it because there's no there's no rigidity. There's no metal connection. It's just your fishing line going through a swivel, basically. So um, it's just a it's a, a good clear water technique. I wouldn't probably throw it in mud. I mean, you could, but there wouldn't be as much of an appeal to it. It's, it's mainly just something that the fish will sit there and look at for a minute. And where a Texas rig might just lay there, you know, this this has a little bit of movement. It just kind of looks a little more natural. And I, I know in, in the article you, you talk about it being like similar to like a, a bullet weighted, uh, like with a free bullet weight, you know, where you just unpeg the mm-hmm. or don't peg the bullet weight. Um, but it has some advantages over that. Um, uh, and I was trying to remember what you said in the article that made it uh, a little bit better than that or, or different than that. Um, yeah, I don't remember exactly what I said in that one. It's, it's been a while since I wrote it, but basically, like if you're if you're fishing a Texas rig through like wood, it might be a little better because you got that cone shape. Like if you're fishing in rocks, then your line, the entry point of your line is in the tip of that weight, and you're dragging that across the rocks. That free rig, your line's up higher, and you're dragging that bale weight across the bottom, so your weight's on the bottom. And another one of the things I might have said about it is you get more noise because. That's- you know, you're dragging that weight along the bottom versus when you go to drag a Texas rig, you're either dragging your line or it's trying to pick that weight up off the bottom just because the way the entry point is into the nose of the weight. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I think that the the noise is what I was remembering. And um, that made a lot of sense. One thing I was going to ask, um, you mentioned uh, in the article about when you cast it out, um, if you if you allow the weight to go the whole way to the end, then it works almost like a peg weight. But mm-hmm. you mentioned that if you cast it with slack, and I was curious how you do that. Like, how do you not keep it at the end? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember what I said in that one. Um, I don't think I've ever done anything like to try to put a bobber stopper on there or anything, which we wouldn't stop it. It would just kind of bump over it. Um, as you, I mean, when you drop your rod, a little bit of line kind of goes back through, you know, and it will loosen up a little bit. When you drag, okay. if you go to drag like you would a Carolina rig and then reel down like a Carolina rig, if you just kind of drop your rod, don't reel it all the way down, it'll slide back out a little bit because you can kind of feel it when you go to reel it the next time. It'll slip and then boom, hit, you know? Gotcha. But I don't remember what I said in there about. Uh, That's cast- okay. I, That's I didn't actually, mean to put you Yeah, I had actually you uh, <laughs> brought up the uh, article here, you know, trying to, mm-hmm. you know, follow it along as you guys are talking about here, you know, and you were saying, um, on slackline, the weight falls fairly straight, 
But what you'll see is that the soft plastic quickly separates itself from the weight. Oh, yeah. Like, so once you throw it out there, then you drop mm -hmm. your rod, and while the weight's sinking, it'll like slide the bait's down. Gonna be, yeah. Yep. So the worms kind of like, there's more drag on the worms. It's falling. If you hold your line tight, it's going to just stay right there on the nose. But when you cast mm -hmm. it out, the weight will be right up against the worm. But whenever you stop, and you, if you drop your rod and let it fall on a slack line, the weight will kind of fall down. And by the time it gets to the bottom, there'll be essentially what looks like a two-foot leader. But, again, when you drag it, it kind of comes back down to it. And uh, no offense to the, all the people that I've had try and teach me the drop shot, but that sounds like it's easier to me to use <laughs> the drop shot. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have tried the drop shot a million times, and I don't know what it is about it, but I just I don't catch fish on it. And uh, I've had – we've talked to some of the best drop shotting people I could find and they've told me a million different ways to try and work it. And I don't know what it is, but, uh, 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 it's just a, a point of frustration for me because I hear so many people, Oh man, I was crushing them on drop shot. And I'm like, yeah, no, not me. <laughs> but, uh, this, uh, when you talked about this being kind of an alternative for a drop shot, because, uh, one thing that I, you know, with the drop shot that I always struggle with is if, if I'm not finding fish vertically, like I, like I, it seems like a uh, drop shot, the presentation works best when you can just drop it right yeah. through, like vertically through them. But um, you talk about in the article a little bit about this being kind of an alternative to the drop shot that you can cast out and mm -hmm. work back and have it kind of still do the same thing. Yeah. A drop shot. Um, a lot of folks will cast it, you know, like I'll, I don't have live scope or any forward facing sonar right now, but I had it for a while and I would pitch a drop shot. Um, and I would do that too before forward facing sonar came out like around here. And when the drop shot first came out and uh, you could, you could get, there'd be a brush pile in 10 feet of water. The brush pile sticks up eight feet. You know, you're two foot over it where your trolling, your trolling is about to touch it. Fish is sitting there and you drop it and the fish would eat it on the fall. I mean, you're right on top of them, you know, and then everybody started doing it. So you had to start triangulating. So you'd back off 15 feet and you'd have a waypoint on your graph or whatever. So you ease up and you're like, I know it's pretty much right there. And I know that tree's over there. It's like what the old guys used to do. And so you kind of line up everything and you pitch that drop shot. And so it would fall. And if you did a good pitch, you would basically be dropping it vertically, but you, would, you wouldn't be dropping it vertically. It would fall vertically, you know, 15 feet out in front of you, right in the middle of that treetop. You catch them. Well, now with forward-facing sonar, you got to be 40, 50 feet away. So it's like the fish are getting – they're learning and, and becoming more and more aware, and, like, they can hear your boat. They can hear your trolling motor. They can hear the electronics. That forward-facing sonar is one of the loudest things out there, and it's uh, – Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, Almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. It's 
I, I've heard it just like when you take your trolling motor up, if you just duck, duck your head down a couple of feet from it, you just hear it clicking. And hmm. I had a buddy, that, uh, a buddy that was telling me about it that dove and was shooting some underwater footage. And uh, he said it was louder. Like there was an outboard running by a pretty good ways off. But like he said, the forward facing sonar, that ping was louder than that outboard running. Where Interesting. From, you know, the, from the area, the, he was pretty close to the sonar, obviously, but it was loud, he said, underwater. So the fish are getting more and more and more accustomed to it. So stuff like this that you can cast that free rig way out, you know, and um, essentially fish it like a – there's another rig called a split shot rig, which is basically just a little Carolina rig. So you take a, a split shot and like this free rig, you know, it would be – it have like a leader that's maybe 12, 14 inches long, but you, you clamp it on your line so it's fixed. And it's essentially just like a little Carolina rig, and that's real good too. But um, the free rig allows it just to slide up and down. But those kinds of things that you can cast horizontally and fish um, are a little easier to fish to me than a, a drop shot in that sense. Because one thing is like that free rig, I can fish it on a bait caster. And uh, I prefer that, you know, personally to a spinning reel, especially when I'm having to fight a fish in from a distance that might bury up in cover or something like that. Um, when it's vertical, it's one thing, you know, you can just pull them on up out of the cover. And a lot of times before they realize they're hooked, they're out of the stuff, you know, but um, anytime they're out there, you know, you're fishing beside a dock and they take off under a dock and pop your line. I'd rather have a bait caster with straight fluorocarbon versus a braided line to a leader and all that. So the free rig kind of, to me is a little bit better for some of that stuff. Gotcha. No, and, and that was another thing that kind of drew me to it is the kind of universal, if universality is a word, whatever. Uh, it's probably not a word. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, for, yeah, there, there you go. Versatility. That's the word I was thinking of. Um, because there are people that uh, will not touch a, a spinning rod and then uh, probably just as much of our audience doesn't yet have a good handle on baitcasters yet. Mm -hmm. So um, this is a, a, a rig and a technique that you can use on both. Mm -hmm. um and uh in the article you also mentioned you know using the bigger heavier ball weights uh like fishing for largemouth um but then also if you're looking for a small mouth you can switch up to like a, a drop shot weight or a cylinder weight mm -hmm. and uh you know fish it uh uh kind of lighter and and kind of really you know uh there's so many different uh plastics you can use so many different uh, uh weights and I even have uh, some weights that I got once upon a time. They, it's a cylinder weight, but it has a, a rattle in it. So mm. I'm like, this might be even good for that. So uh, I'm gonna give this a try and, and you know see how it works. But um, is there anything else on this rig that you can think of, Susie? Did you see anything when you're reading through um, that you would think uh, the you know somebody just picking up would would need to know to kind of make it work or work for them or any other tips you can offer? It can be kind of a light bite sometimes because they're, you're feeling the weight versus the hook, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times. Same with a Carolina rig. You'll feel the weight on the bottom, and sometimes the bite is just – it gets mushy because the fish hits it, and then it picks that weight up off the bottom, and that's what you're actually feeling. So this kind of can be the same thing. There's a little bit more of a direct contact with the bait because the line's going straight through, but sometimes you'll just notice your bait swimming off, you know, fish has got it and swimming off with it versus feeling a thump like you would with a jig or a Texas rig. Um, and, but I mean, other than that, and you just do like a sweeping hook set. It's the best way to do it. It's not like a drop and pop them because typically you're using a fairly light wire hook and um, you're not going to want to snatch really hard. Cause you'll bend the hook out. And uh, so 
and you're not, I mean, 12 to 15 pound test line. Uh, I was just going to ask you about that too. Yeah. yeah. That's probably best. I mean, basically if you're using 12 pound tests and like a thin wire EWG, you know, two alt hook or something like that, or if you're, you can beef it up to like a, a four alt, uh, super line, uh, EWG hook and 15 pounds, 17 pounds. Just depends on kind of what you're fishing around, what size fish you're fishing for. Like I said, you could go to Seminole and you're fishing for five, six pounders around beds, but they're, they're, you know, they're spooky and water super clear. I've been a bunch of boats around that kind of stuff. And you're kind of trying to fan cast spawning areas versus actually seeing them. So you might have to beef up to 17 or 20 pound, you know, fluorocarbon with a bigger weight and a bigger um, hook and soft plastic and all that. It's really whatever you want to do with it. You can kind of be creative. Yeah, it uh, definitely caught my eye. So I'm from uh, the central Illinois area and, uh, you know, we've got a lot of um, strip mine areas, a lot of dirty water and whatnot, but uh, we also have like a lot of weeds and cover thick vegetation and whatnot. And like just the, the idea of that, of just kind of working it along those weed edges and whatnot, having it like float up as your weight's kind of down low, like that seems like it would be it'd be pretty juicy in those situations. So I'm going to give it a little try this spring because I'm like, man, I, I bet that would work really good. So it seems the, the Mississippi river comes to there, right? Uh, yeah. So it's uh, the closest one I'm close to is the Illinois river. So like okay. I'm like almost dead central Illinois. The Mississippi is on the uh, West side of the state. I think uh, I covered a college bass tournament and it was supposed to be on the Mississippi river and it was like a five foot flood or something. There was like a, a big nasty snake because I went to take pictures of how bad it was to say, you know, we're not gonna be able to do it here. And we had to move it. There was a big old snake and I took a picture of it. I remember, but uh, I mean, there was like trees the size of houses floating down the river. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And it took them forever to find us somewhere else to go uh, to fish a tournament. They could hold like, I think they had like 60 or 70 boats and we ended up moving the tournament four hours down to South Illinois to some lake. And it was still a small lake. It was probably five or 600 acres. And, yeah. Uh, that's a, pretty- that is a big struggle in Illinois because a um, Illinois permits, uh, when you put them in, it's usually for a max of 50. So mm-hmm. you got to find a lake that a has more than one ramp that you could, you know, do two permits for, you know, 50 Hmm. people each to have a hundred anglers, but we don't exactly have like huge lakes. We've got a couple power plant lakes that are pretty good. We've got Newton, San Chris. Um, There used to be one in Southern Illinois, Coffeen. It used to be a power plant lake, but I don't think it runs anymore. Um, But uh, I'm near uh, what's called Banner Marsh and it's a bunch of uh, strip mines and whatnot. So like we've got a little bit of everything there so but uh i, I like them you yeah. know I, uh, I'm, I'm spoiled coming from alabama because again like, <laughs> you, you got water everywhere there's oh i mean right. where i'm sitting right now there's you know 10 good lakes that people have heard of within two hours i mean you know going oh. three and a half <laughs> that tennessee river and all and then mm. down to ufala's two hours so but but i mean it's not necessarily a good thing we could we could stand to have a little restriction too because like you know, there'll there literally be a thousand boats on gunners on a weekend jesus you know? it, yeah it's exhausting so it's not you know it would be it's the wild wild west out here but it will be good for there to be some stuff but like you go up to new york and and they've got signs everywhere and fines if you move a boat that's got some vegetation hanging from oh the yes there's all kinds of rules all over the place so 
down here, I mean, we're mm-hmm. just, you know, trim her out and let her eat most of the time. I'm not sure. <laughs> You're free it. range out there, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, uh, and that, that brought up another point. Um, you, it, you talked about the, how the free rig c- c- does work well in grass because it seems like it's pretty weedless for the most mm-hmm. part. I mean, the weight's going to catch some grass, I would imagine, but your Texas rig, you know, plastic isn't going to. Yeah, it, it, that's one of the things that kind of the worm – like I said, if it does separate a little bit, there might be some weeds that catch on the weight, and you can just kind of pop it loose. But with a lot of the other stuff, like a Texas rig or a shaky head or whatever, once you get that stuff on the weight, you just about got to reel it in and pick it off where the worm kind of sits there and looks pretty normal. That's kind of like a drop shot in that sense because the weight's catching, but the worm still looks pretty good. So I don't know why. I don't know how bass is. I've never caught a fish, to my knowledge, with some grass on it. You know, I don't know how they know that's not real, but it's like you yeah. get a little twig of pine straw in there and you like might as well reel it in you know oh i know i i was just fishing i i live uh right near the susquehanna river in pennsylvania here mm-hmm. and uh i was uh fishing a crankbait and the our grass is really starting to die off now but uh it's still just enough to catch like it can be like the thinnest little tiny string of something and you might as i mean i'm like how does the fish even notice that i'm like i guess grass doesn't stick to fish it must not ever because yeah. They pretty much, if they see that, they don't even touch it. So yeah, every crawfish ever was perfectly clean for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. They, they repel grass. That's that that if you could, you know, make a bait that could repel grass, yeah. that'd be the thing. <laughs> Got a little orb around it where it goes to the water and it sends all the bubble. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Man, I'm gonna have to work on that. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I think that covers the the free rig a little bit. Anything else uh, you'd you'd be throwing right now that uh, you you think would uh, would be a good technique? I know uh, obviously your your water temperatures and stuff are probably a little different than Susie and mine up here, but not not vastly, I would say. Yeah, I don't know for y'all. For I mean, anywhere Kentucky Lake down, um, and maybe not all the way into Florida, but some of the Florida lakes too. Uh, Threadfin shad and shad in general are our main forage and they come crashing on the shores and there'll be so many of them um, that a lot of times you have to downsize. And that's one of the big things around here in the fall, like throwing a rooster tail instead of a half ounce spinner bait or throwing like a little Hopkins spoon across the top, throwing a quarter ounce trap instead of a half ounce, stuff like that. Um, smaller square bills, smaller medium diving crankbaits. Um, there's a art mini diver that I reviewed for wired to fish and, um, I think that's the one that Clint Davis calls it, or maybe maybe that's not it, but I think that's the one Clint Davis calls it like the auto bass because it's it's just like a little bitty crankbait. It's got two pretty good size EWG treble hooks on it, and it just catches them. It catches anything in the food chain. So this time of year, that's one of the big things around here or, you know, around the majority of the south is um, having to dial it back on the size because there's just so many shad to choose from and, you either got to really imitate one that's dying by fishing slow with like a fluke or something mm-hmm. or try to try to downsize a little bit and let them pick out that smaller bait out of the batch. Instead of this is like a line and a gazelle, they're going to go for the little, the little baby that just newborn versus the, the big one that's running a lot faster. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Pick off the weak one. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Um, well, I mean, I think uh, like, uh, Susie, do you have any other questions? I think we're, we've covered that pretty well. So, um, if, if we, you have nothing else, man, then I wanted to give you a chance to just shout out, uh, 
where folks can find you and follow follow your uh, writings and everything and uh, anything any other social media you wanted to shout out? Uh, yeah, I mainly write for Wired to Fish. I write a couple articles a week or an article and a review for them a week and then write a couple articles a week for Monster Bass, which is like a subscription box yep. company. And uh, we've got a blog going on there. It's going real well. So um, do stuff for them. And then uh, Bassmaster, I'll write a – I write an article occasionally for them, but primarily I cover the elite series for them. And then, um, like I said, I may, may go back to doing some with the opens too next year, but tournament coverage with those guys, you know, uh, now again, I'm primarily blogging for them, but, and you never know with me, I may be shooting pictures, writing stories, shooting video. I, I back when I was doing it full time before, like I'd go to, uh, little rock where the studio was and do some commentating for the college, national championships and stuff or i shot shoulder cam with edwin evers one time i got in the boat with him and that was a trip but uh he uh good dude but he he's worried about uh somebody noticing where he was or whatever and i'm trying to walk around first time i ever done like a cinder block on my shoulder shooting tv you know TV. But that was a little bit of everything i did before and uh it was a really good time but mostly now just writing so Bassmaster. Wired to fish or monster bass is the best places to track down some of my stuff. Um, now monster bass, uh, do you uh, talk to Alex Rudd at all with that or? Yeah, uh, he and I known each other for a long time. Ben Nowak's another good guy. Yep, from yep, absolutely. Yep. Um, I, I never have. I've hung out with him a couple times at like writers' events or something. We had one for Angler is another company I worked with for a while, and uh, we had like a summit with those guys, and I got to hang out with that son. But. Um, He's a good dude, and he loves it and fired up about it and all. And uh, he's been with Monster Bass a while. And like I said, Ben Nowak, I, I, I'm going to do one, an article with him before too long uh, on when to not use forward-facing sonar and talk about some of the times when you just need to turn it off and it's actually detrimental to what you're doing versus beneficial. So um, talk about that a little bit. But, uh, but, yeah, those guys are good dudes. Cool, cool. Um, and I wanted to give you a chance to shout out any sponsors or anything like that that you wanted to cover. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Yeah, my sponsors are Monster Bass, Bassmaster, and Wired to Fish. I don't really do much uh, sponsor stuff now so much as just get paid to work, So, uh, which is you know, what a lot of folks are doing with sponsors. But I don't really affiliate with any particular company. I do a whole bunch of product reviews and stuff like that now. So it's one of those deals where, like, I got this Costa hat on. Costa sent it to me with a pair of sunglasses to review, you know it's not a sponsor. It's just, you know, gear. And uh, my hair was a mess. So I was looking around for a hat. <laughs> but, hey, uh, hey. If, yeah. uh, if I didn't wear a hat, you'd probably be blinded by the reflection. So, uh, we yeah, do what got we got to do. We got a lot of good companies I work with and, and work for and all, but I don't really have any sponsors per se. That's got to be uh, pretty cool too, to just get to test out lots of different stuff and, you know. Yeah, it is. And it's a, um, it's a neat deal. Like I, you know, I like fishing tackle. I'm like anybody else that likes to fish and, and I hoard it, you know, and so I'll end up selling a bunch of stuff here and there. Cause it's just the shops overloaded, but it's pretty neat to get um, 
it's a great way to find stuff that I like because I'm I'm guilty of I've got five or six baits that I'm gonna have tied on just about every time. And once I find something, I'll find a spinner bait and I use it for seven or eight years. There's other good stuff out there, but I got confidence in that one. And I primarily either fish for now product reviews to shoot pictures with fish catches and stuff, test out the products or tournaments. So if I'm gonna go fish a tournament, it's hard for me to to just go buy a different rod. Why would I? You know, I got rods I like. So it's been pretty interesting. Uh, I've actually found some really good stuff because I was forced to fish with other stuff. So I actually sold like a lot of the stuff I liked to where I would like rods in particular. Uh, it would force me to use the other rods because if I don't, then I'm going to use it for like two days. I don't really have a good judge of how good of a rod it is. I like to like baits. I could throw a bait for three or four hours, catch a fish or two on it. And I know what it's, you know, it's got good hooks. It's got a good build. It break, you know, whatever. But rods, I mean, you need you need a couple months with a rod and reel before you can really give a good assessment of it. So um, it's been a good way for me to find a lot of good stuff, like that little arc mini dive or arc mini, whatever it is, little mini dive and crankbait. Um, I was trying to think of some of the other stuff, like the mini max, the chatterbait mini max. Love that thing. It's so cool. And I, I've thrown a chatterbait, you know, ever since they came out. But and I probably wouldn't have tried that thing if it wasn't for I had to do a review on it. So um find a lot of cool baits like that. That uh Z-Man Hellraiser is a pretty cool bait too. It I looked, just lost one. I got I bought got my first one and I lost it my second time in. I snagged it and uh lost it. But uh yeah, it, it looks was ridiculous. The yeah. action is amazing and it's easy. It's it does yeah. everything for you. But I mean, when I saw it, like, I'm not going to buy that. It looks ridiculous. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I threw it because they sent it to me. So I threw it. And I was like, that's pretty awesome. You know, it's like a topwater mix with a chatterbait. This is fantastic. Exactly. So it's stuff that there's a lot of baits that I would turn my nose up before. At, mm-hmm. or I'm not going to spend $10 and just try it, you know? Right. And so since they sent them to me, I try them and I found a lot of good stuff that I really like that I would have never tried if it weren't for my job. You know, because I just keep fishing with the thing that catches them already. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, just finding those diamonds in the rough, if you will, you know, even with rods, you know, you, there's so many rods that choices out mm-hmm. there um, that it's it's really overwhelming when you're especially for people just getting into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can you can break the bank buying crazy stuff. But there's, you know, stuff that isn't as high priced that works, you know, maybe not mm-hmm. as, you know, great as the, the super high end stuff. But we'll get the job done for a lot less money. And so I think, uh, you know, being able to test that out and kind of find those, uh, those deals and those, those, uh, you know, things that have just the right combination of stuff to, to really, you know, knock it out of the park would be a cool gig. And, you know, so I look forward to, you know, reading some of your stuff about that. And uh, that's the thing when you, when you write those articles, is it tough to, to kind of, are you allowed to stay unbiased or, or are you pretty much, you know, yeah, like work? the main thing you try to do is what you call a compliment cookie. So if you got something negative to say, you say it. You know, I'm gonna be honest, but I always try to sandwich it between a couple of nice things. And and there's always something you can say good about. It. And I'm from the south, you know. Mom said if you ain't got something nice to say, don't say none at all. But at the same time, I'm gonna be honest. And there'll be some stuff I try that's just this garbage, and I just don't write about it. You know, I just don't review that because I'm not gonna go out there and bash something either. But if you ever see me say like this is a good product, then it's something I believe in. And, you know, I'd like to just go out there and, and there was, there's some, a guy that had a website that did really well for a little while. Cause he would just go out there and unabashedly just bash everything. <laughs> and for the first month or two, everybody's like, Oh, this is cool, man. This dude's really telling the truth, you know, 
And then that just became his shtick. And he just started harping on anglers and companies and just, and it became super negative and, and everybody got turned off by it. So it's one of those deals where it's, you know, there's a line you got to kind of toe because you don't want to just bash something. And, and there's also the chance like you get a bait and it's the one out of 1000 that the bill breaks on. And so I'm not going to run somebody in the mud on something, but, uh, but if there's something I, and I try stuff, sometimes it's just, it's just not any good. And so I don't, I don't write about it. And if there's something that I do like, and like a lot of times, one of the funny stories I was trying to find, I, I typically try to find something negative to say, cause I don't want everybody to say like, all he ever does is say everything's great. But um, so like zoom, uh, I've used a twin tail trailer of theirs, the split tail forever mm-hmm. is one of my dad put me on a long time ago and it's a real good trailer for spinner baits and chatter baits it's really cool too because it kind of sticks out behind the skirt and it goes crazy with the chatter baits vibration so i wrote one on on that trailer and uh, i've used it for 10 years and nobody had ever reviewed it for wire to fish so i was like oh that's an easy one you know i got a bunch of them here and it's a bait i got a ton of confidence in i'll just do one on that so i did one on that and Somewhere throughout it, I was like, yeah, you know, the only thing, they, they got pretty good shad colors and everything. They don't have any green pumpkin. And I like green pumpkin chatterbait. So I said, I got to be pretty cool, you know, is to have a green pumpkin split tail trailer. But other than that, you know, I like this about it and that about it. It's pretty tough. You know, the fish don't tear it up too bad and yada, yada, yada. Well, about three weeks later in the mail, there's a package and it's like, hey, really enjoyed the review on the twin tail. Here's some green pumpkin. And <laughs> Yeah, Zoom sent me a special run of like 10 packs of green pumpkin. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So apparently people are reading the stuff, but it was I was just uh, gonna say you got the right people reading it for sure. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, like, that was the thing I tried to say negative. It was almost like they were like, Well, here you go, you know. And so uh so yeah, that you know, it's a fun job and, and it's a good job. And it's again having that right relationship with it to where I get to enjoy it, but I don't it's not my world, you know, like it used to be is uh right has really made it a whole lot better this go around. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and the, the last thing I wanted to ask you, do you do any kayak fishing? You know, I know you, you talk about big boat stuff, but uh, yeah. you know, we, not that we are all about pad, or, uh, kayak fishing here on paddle and pin, but it is uh, one of our things. So I just was curious, you know, did you ever try out the, the little plastic boats? Yeah. If you want to, uh, if you want to do some digging about two or three years ago, um, I was burnt out on fishing, like I said, and and I was trying to do a little bit of stuff on Instagram and YouTube and stuff still. Um, I had kind of gotten started back. I think I was working with Angler at the time, and so I was trying to do some stuff with them, and I was just burnt out on fishing. So I was like – and I didn't have a boat at the time. I've had a boat since I was like 16. So I had sold it, and I was just like, whatever, you know. And so I was like, I'm going to try this kayak fishing. You know, everybody's talking about kayak, kayak, kayak. I'm going to get into it. <laughs> so there's a video on YouTube of me buying my first kayak. I went to – uh tractor supply and bought a $200 kayak and it was miserable. It was, I named it teacup is what it got named. And it was the most unstable. And I'm talking about like you're sitting, I don't know if y'all can see my knees here, but you're sitting down in a hole like that. You know? And my, I just, I wore shorts the first time my legs got blistered like a tomato I finally, I didn't think about paddling far away. You got to paddle back. You know, I was on a lake, so I get a pretty good ways off just trying to fish. And uh, I'm like, my back's killing me. So I just got out on the shore somewhere and stretched for a little while. And I'm like, I got to do this all the way back. My legs were, like I said, tomato red. And but I remember, like, I 
I hooked like a pound and a half, two pound spot. And it turned the boat around and I'm trying to get hold of it, splashing water all over me and everything. And I was just loving it. I was giddy. You know, I was enjoying it. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Cause in a bass boat, which I actually made a t-shirt that said kayaks or bass boats too, whenever I was doing this for a little while. That's awesome. But, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I had one that had on there, had a guy with a paddle like this and it said the original two stroke. I made a few t-shirts <laughs> like that, but, uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, the, like it. yeah, the, uh, I, in a bass boat, I'd have caught that fish and just threw it back, you know, and I, I'd have been annoyed that the fish had bit cause I'm trying to catch a five pounder or something, but in a kayak, it's so much harder to get bit or especially for me just starting out with nothing but a paddle and all. And so that kind of got me on fire for kayak fishing for a little while. And I'm one of those, like, if I do get excited about something, I'll just jump all over it. So I never did fish any kayak tournaments, but we have local bass boat tournaments here. And uh, that me and my dad fish and, and there'd be like seven or eight boats, especially once it gets tough in the summer. And so, I mean, nobody's catching anything. Like seven pounds is winning. So I was like, man, I'm making videos. I'm like, I'm going to go get, I'm going to go get my kayak. I'm going to fish against these guys in my kayak. So I made me, uh, you got to weigh your fish in, you know? So I made me a live well out of an ice chest and, uh, filled it slap full of water. You know, didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> filled it slap full of water and start. Don't get a bite for like three hours, you know, and I'm just hauling around this 40 or 50 pounds of water and, uh, just miserable. I had nothing but a paddle. And I don't remember if it was the first one or the second one. I did it a couple of times. I think it was the first one. But I ended up catching seven pounds. I won the tournament against five. Wow, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And, uh, it was a whole video of it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what was so funny is because, like, all my buddies that I was fishing against, my dad was out there in his boat and everything. And uh, all of them were giving me crap. You know, and they know I didn't cheat. But they're trying to say, I, you know, oh, right, right. and then I'm like, I got a GoPro going the whole time. So there's footage of me catching seven pounds. I got big fish, like a two and a half pounder. It was just brutally tough. But, uh, but yeah, I won that, and uh, it was so funny because I did that on the middle pond, which is like this little lake below Lake Martin. And so the next week, there was one on Lake Martin on Tuesday night. So I show up up there on my kayak. I'm like, let's try again, you know. <laughs> and this guy pulls up, and this guy I've known forever, and he was fishing down there the, the Wednesday before. And he said, look, don't do that again. I said, do what? <laughs> he said, don't. I'm telling you, do not. If you got enough to win, throw them back. He said, I heard so much crap from everybody at work this week. I told him, you know, you know if y'all got your money, come down there and fish too. And uh, he, he was like, dude, do not do that, you know. So that night I didn't catch anything. I think I literally zeroed. And uh, Lake Martin's a different beast. There's like giant boats going by. I made a video of that too. And there's like this boat big as my house coming by. And I'm in this kayak, you know. I had lights because it's night tournaments, you know. So half of it's in the daytime, half of it's at night. So I've got... I don't have any registration because I just got a paddle. I don't have a motor. So I got navigation lights rigged off batteries and everything trying to <laughs> be legal. And uh, I did that two or three times. And I was like, all right, that's enough of that. But uh, And I did that out of a bona fide uh, SS-127 or something like that. It was a really good yep. cap. I yep. borrowed that from a buddy. Um, but that wasn't out of teacup. Teacup couldn't handle all that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did do a little bit of kayak fishing there for a little while. Awesome, awesome. All right, man. Well, again, uh, we're getting on near an hour here, so I thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to to talk with us. And uh, you know, I love your story, man. It's it's awesome that you you know kind of found your way back to to loving everything again, and and um, happy to hear hear your faith got you got you where you are too. And uh, cool, man. Uh, 
Susie, anything else you want to add? Add, yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shay. Well, thank you again so much, brother. I appreciate you coming on here. Um, uh, guys, uh, check out the show notes for links to all of uh, uh, the places you can find Shay and his sponsors. And um, until next time, guys, this has been Bass Fishing for News, where we bring you the tricks, the technique, the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. You guys have a good night. Enjoyed it. Good to see you. Thanks, guys. Good night. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Fin. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website, paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures your Midwest premier paddle sports destination, go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina, the beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. Jigmasters Jigs, when in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today.